When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here's the scenario. You've been injured in a serious accident. The doctor says your recovery could take months, maybe even years, yet your insurance company is denying your claim every step of the way. If something like this happens to you, call me, Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. We have offices in Toronto, London, Peterborough, and now Kitchener-Waterloo. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. Hey, that was pretty damn good. The Raptors defeat, I think, well, they defeat the Lakers, first of all, 114 to 103. And since Kawhi's departure, I believe the Raptors are now 6-0 and against LeBron James whenever they've played him. That might even be since he's in a Lakers jersey, actually. He, or, yeah, they're 6-0 and against LeBron when he's in a Lakers jersey. I don't know about all the Kawhi stuff. I don't know why I'm saying that. But tonight, they beat him. They're still undefeated. Lebronto is a thing of the past. Past California seems to be bubbling up. He averages, coming into this, I think he averaged over 26 points per game, and he he had 27 tonight. He's typically played quite well against the Lakers. One of his biggest performances last year against the Lakers, one of his big performances that put him on the map early uh, in his second-team All-NBA year came against the Lakers, and that's probably just the correlation to more national or international media, I should say, paying attention to Lakers games. So if you beat the Lakers and you play well, uh, you're going to be on way more radars than usual. And the Lakers fans might even start talking about you in other circles. But yeah, I mean, past California, obviously it's it's not the same. These are not playoff games and it's not, you know, Pascal isn't in contention for the greatest player of all time. But the Raptors are winning, okay? And they did this one fairly stress-free. There was a little bit of stuff at the end for me personally, at no point in this game did I think that the Lakers were coming back. I think they got within nine. I, if I, I think that was on a, a phantom three-point call, actually, where it was a precious that you genuinely did not touch Carmelo Anthony. And uh, I guess Carmelo reacted like a little bit weird. Maybe he, he thought that his landing zone was being infringed upon, so he adjusted midair, but there was no contact made and it, it just looked like nothing to me. But anyway, they got within three and the Raptors didn't really let anything progress from there, but they had, they had them at arm's length the whole night and not even at like, you know, 12, 15 points, but you know, a lot of the night you're looking at 18 to, to 24. It was truly dominant. And it started at the outset where Scotty Barnes came out, scored 15 points in the first quarter. Pascal, I think had nine, if I remember correctly, but the the Lakers tried to get away with playing really small. Like their their center in this game was, you know, LeBron was the listed center. 
and your your power forward was Stanley Johnson, who only played 15 minutes. You had Austin Reeves at a small forward. This is a really small team, and one of the main tenets of the Raptors' offense this year is the, you know, in quotations, expose him uh, type of offense where you get a mismatch because you're so big in the middle of the lineup that suddenly, you know, Scotty Barnes, Blake Murphy. I, I tweeted out during the game, I was like, Scotty seems like the next guy where everyone will be like, why is he listed at 6'9"? He's seven feet tall. Isn't this obvious? The the Kevin Durant quandary. And Blake responded by saying, he's listed at 6'7". To which I said, you know, oh, I guess it's already happening because th- there's no way Scotty's 6'7", by the way. But um, he was huge in there and just absolutely dominated whether it was Reeves, Stanley Johnson, LeBron, Westbrook, Monk, whoever was trying to D him up. It did not go well. And the insatiable... Uh, taste for the rim that Scotty has and his ability to always square up really means that of course he can go up bigger guys but always being able to get square and his touch at the rim has just been so great this year it means that small guys are just under him and they are pinned under him and he can go up at the basket anytime he wants and that was something that you really felt in the early parts of this game they started out on a 19-2 run and they they just blew the game wide open, largely because of Pascal and Scotty. You know, Scotty a little bit more prolific as far as the the scoring sense. Pascal a little bit more prolific as far as bending the defense, making plays off of it for his teammates. They just they dominated them on that end. And then the length on the other side of the ball, Precious Achua was really great in the middle of the floor to start the game out. The I think they started out over sixteen from three. So this is the Lakers team that went small had. You know, the, the Raptors overhelp on drives. This is something that everybody knows who's watched them this year. They dig down, they rotate over, they don't want to let you get all the way there. And they had their best room protector in the game to start. And they jumped out to that lead, and the Lakers can score because they didn't hit jump shots and they got a lot of attention at the rim. It was a really masterful start to the game. It was super fun to watch. And I know some people, there's a big conversation today uh, between fans and between some writers that, you know, are active on Twitter and, you know, whether it's like national guys in the U.S. media or Raptors fans or Raptors writers, uh, there was a lot of discourse about the rookie of the year race. And obviously Raptors fans think that, uh, think that Scotty is in the lead and that Scotty should win. And that's totally fair. Scotty has played well enough that Basically, in any year of the NBA, he'd put himself in the conversation. He's been that good. He's been awesome. But, you know, there is quite a large amount of people who look at Evan Mobley, his, you know, outstanding efforts on defense mixed with, yeah, I would say still pretty damn good on offense. And they say, like, he's the guy. And so some people might have been underwhelmed that Scotty started out with 15 and finished with, I think he only scored 21 in this game. And I say only 21, but which is a great game, but only 21 relative to you know, bursting out with 15 points and they're like, well, why, why wasn't he featured more? Why didn't he get these opportunities? And this is, this is rookie stuff. And so if you watch this game, I don't think it's about him being less aggressive. I don't think it's about the team, you know, neglecting him or anything like that. The Lakers decided to prioritize stopping Scotty at the point of attack more often. This means that he was shaded. This means that he saw different defensive matchups. And this means that like shaded at both levels, at the top, at the point of attack, they're shading the drive so that in the middle of his attack, he might get that dig down. But they're also, you know, you can see the way that they're lining on the floor, way more ready to bring that help side directly at the rim. And so Scotty, 
is a guy who he still doesn't know exactly how to navigate that. This is something that Pascal, even over the past year and a half, has had to, you know, and Pascal is a demonstrably better offensive player than Scotty at this point. When whenever Scotty passes Pascal because Scotty is on a hell of a trajectory, I'm excited for that day. But right now, Pascal is a guy who's just learning how to manipulate all levels of the defense. There's a difference between being able to score at the different levels and being able to manipulate the different levels and then manipulating them so that you can score. And Scotty isn't there yet. So he took what was available to him and to his credit took everything that was available to him early on. But then the Lakers made him more of a focal point and guys like Gary Trent Jr. and Fred Van Vliet, they took on a bunch of shots too. And, you know, the same way that the Raptors early on against the Lakers said, this is a team we want to overload on. They're playing small. They're probably going to hunt driving lanes to some degree. We want to crowd those. Uh, when it came down to Pascal or came down to Scotty, the Lakers decided to make that adjustment. And then guys like Gary Trent and guys like Fred Van Vliet Gary took the most shots out of anybody in this game. And not only did he take a lot of shots, 19, he also got to the line for 13 free throws. That's that's a lot of possessions for Gary Trent Jr., like a lot, a lot. And nobody else came close in this game to matching that. And that's because, well, A, because in the third quarter, the Raptors decided to do like a, a Gary plus bench lineup. And Gary was, you know, trying some things out off the off the dribble, you know, on the bounce and seeing where he could get with that. But also because... He had a lot of space to work in. The Raptors, you know, the ball funneled towards him. He was the open shooter a lot of the time. Them's the breaks. That is how the Lakers want to play it. Gary started out, I think, two for 10. He finished seven for 19. That's good enough for me. Like, you know, seven for 19 is nothing to write home about, but he, he saved this game. And, you know, I think he ended up going 11 for 13 from the line. That's that's a nice showing there as well. That really helps bump up the efficiency and, you know, gets the Raptors through a little bit of a dry spell at, at one point in the game too. And Fred Van Vliet is the same thing. Like he was an open shooter a lot of this game. He goes two for 12. That's when the Raptors, they started losing a little bit of that lead. But luckily in this game, you know, Gary was able to kind of turn it on in the second half. Pascal kept plugging away. He was still just super good at finding his own spots and finding spots for other guys too. So this isn't this isn't Scotty being phased out of the offense or anything, at least not to my eye. I mean, anybody could disagree, I suppose. But I've watched every game this year. I've, you know, and, and I wrote that huge piece where I charted every single play that Scotty's been a part of. I, I don't know if anybody's watched, you know, outside of the Raptors team. I don't know if anybody's watched more Scotty than me. And I think that this game is probably just a reflection of the way that he was defended and that changed the outcome of his you know, immense box score statistics. But this is also the stuff that, you know, if you were going to make the case for Scotty Barnes over Evan Mobley, it is that Evan Mobley oftentimes cannot change a team's defensive game plan. And that doesn't show up in the box score. But this is a game like Evan Mobley, I think tonight had 30. And and he got there largely. I, I watched some of that game. And he got there largely because, you know, the, the Cavs are willing or sorry, not the Cavs. The Clippers are more willing to leave Mobley alone to, you know, prioritize stopping other players. And like Darius Garland having 13 assists in that game is also of note that he's he's getting Mobley the ball in those spaces. And so this is I'm not making it about Mobley or Scotty, just saying that just because Scotty didn't blow up the box score and, you know, the 15 points in the first quarter didn't translate to 60 points overall in the game. He effectively changed how the the defense was playing the Raptors. He changed the defensive game plan, and that won't show up 
anywhere except for the people who watched and I guess the people who listened to this podcast. Scotty was so good that he changed the Lakers' defensive game plan. That's a hell of a thing. That won't show up anywhere, but that's a hell of a thing, and it's something that he deserves a lot of love for. So I really enjoyed his performance, and I thought he did great. And the the little, you know, the, the role that Gary played by just being like a volume shooter and a guy who's getting a lot of touches and, you know, dragging the Raptors through some parts of their slower offense, that was great to see as well, even if it was inefficient. It's nice to see it came out looking decent, and especially since he shot better in the second half. Chris Boucher, Precious Achua, different types of output as well, but still both very, very important. Boucher's plus minus isn't as sexy as Precious is in this game because he wasn't part of that huge run to start the game, and he was also a part of the less than desirable third quarter run where Gary Trent had to lift up and you know, Birch and Banton and even, you know, Thad were in there and that kind of stuff. Those lineups where they wanted to get guys some rest, which didn't exactly work out. Like Fred ended up playing 40 minutes. Scotty ended up playing 39, but I digress. And I guess I'll touch on Fred. It's good that other guys are like, he didn't play against Denver. He played 40 minutes tonight, but it was 11, seven and seven. And it was 11 points on, you know, I, I think it's probably 18 used possessions. That's that's not great for, for anybody. And, you know, it's I don't want to get too much into used possessions or whatever, but there are some spaces where you can tell he doesn't have, he doesn't quite have the burst where he has earlier in the season. And this is a player who looks like he's been a little bit run down. Anybody who's watched the team that's led by, you know, a small guard, the engine of an offense and, you know, in Fred's case, even a little bit of the defense, he's he's battered and bruised. And so I, I do wonder what this looks like going forward if there is a point where he does get back to, you know, because he, he was he was punching up at like an all NBA uh, caliber season. And I, I don't know what that certainly isn't something he'll be considered for right now just because of this stretch of play. But I tell you this. He can get back there for sure. He can play like an elongated stretch at that level. And I just wonder if he can this season and if his health will permit. Because in this game, he was he was a step slow and the jumper was a little bit off. But the, the decision-making is still crisp. The defense, I think, is still effective. And so I'm not too worried about it. But if this were a game where the Raptors really needed Fred to be a star-level point guard, the all-star that he was selected as, um, we maybe would have been pretty disappointed with the result. But... You know, basketball is tough, especially when you're injured. And uh, yeah, OG Ananobi is also in a situation where I guess Nick Nurse alluded to the fact that he may have to get another surgery or play with his finger that hasn't fully healed. And, you know, a lot of people talk or a lot of players talk about playing with finger injuries because finger finger injuries are so prevalent in the NBA just because, you know, the medium with which you interact with the ball most often is with your hand. And, you know, the ball comes, it is a projectile that leaves and enters at a bunch of different speeds, whether it's without somebody touching it or on a rip through or on a dunk or whatever. Guys injure their fingers all the time. They jam them. And I don't know if OG wants to be one of those guys who plays with, you know, an insanely screwed up finger like he was prior to actually getting you know, going and taking the time off for it and letting it heal and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, Fred, OG, I think it's really important that they get healthy, that they get looked after. But in the meantime, as I was talking about Chris Boucher, uh, Precious, I think both of them giving you a little bit of offensive pop 
Chris in significantly more efficient fashion. Precious, this is a guy who's putting himself in all the right positions and way, way more than he was at the start of the season. I think even in the half court where I still have significant reservations about how he moves and assists and, well, not ass- but assists and helps um, grease the wheels of the offense for his teammates with his motion, with his cutting and stuff like that. I think that's improved from the start of the season, but I still don't think it's in a great spot. Either way, improvement is improvement. And he's getting to the front of the rim a lot, He and he's getting blocked there where he's missing shots, and it's important to be at the front of the rim. It, it just really is so important to be at the front of the rim, and I trust with his athleticism that he will eventually become, you know, at least an average to decent finisher. I, I don't think he'll, he'll ever be like the Mitchell Robinson type guy who's setting, you know, field goal percentage records because he just dunks everything in the vicinity. But Precious, you know, he's there in the right spots, the, you know, dangerous, advantageous spots. And in this game, his finishing just wasn't on par and he didn't hit a three. And and Chris Boucher was a lot more efficient in how he went about getting his offense or how he performed as a shooter when he was in, the, in similar spots to uh, Precious. But Precious, I thought, had a good defensive game as well. So the, the two bigs that have been consistent off the bench or, you know, spot starting for the Raptors, they did it again tonight. I was really happy with that. And and Thad and Kem, um, I, again, not feckless, just ineffective in this game. And Thad, Thad gave you nine boards. He threw a lob to Precious. And, you know, he also had um, a couple steals in there as well. But I think that he's having a harder time fitting in to the Raptors than initially expected. And that makes sense because Fred hasn't been his full self Gary has been slumping, and those are the two biggest dribble handoff engines on the team. Thaddeus Young is, you know, a great dribble handoff player to, you know, make decisions, be it, you know, the handoff or the keeper play, and to, you know, if they're if you're setting back screens for cutters and stuff like that, he can be a good um, facilitator from that point. And that really hasn't been a huge part of their game, or at least not a very effective one. So once the guards like Gary and Fred get back into a groove, I think that Thad is much easier to plug in in these transitional lineups. But when Pascal is leading the charge and, you know, Scotty's leading the charge, Boucher and Precious are just way, make way more sense as guys to plug in and to have success with this team. And that, that's evidenced by the numbers this year and like quite a few different ones. And, and by my own test, that also seems to be largely true as well. But yeah, the Raptors, really fun game, man. I thought Pascal just was a great shepherd in this game, found the pace, worked them through a lot of difficult stretches and got his own shot and, you know, provided for others as well. I think he he really helped guide them. But Scotty, I, I probably talked enough about Scotty in this this podcast anyway, but he jumped out to a great start and he deserves a lot of love for that too. Reggie Evans Award. I think I'm gonna give it to Pascal, honestly. He he got elbowed in the face and had a <laughs> got called for it. This is something that's kind of funny when I can't remember who it was that fouled him. That was it the Blazers? He got seat belted. A guy reached way across him, and then Pascal did the rip through with the arm to get the arm off of him, which is a play that refs largely in the NBA will either just let go or they'll call a foul on the defensive player. And in clutch time, I believe in the last two minutes, Pascal got called for an offensive foul. Oh, wait. Was it Miami? Was it Gabe Vincent who reached in on him? I think it was. But he, he's had a, quite a few different, uh, quite a few different, like really questionable fouls late in games. And LeBron James 
it didn't he didn't mean to but it was an inadvertent elbow to the face and Pascal didn't touch him anywhere else he just happened to be in the vicinity of the elbow and the elbow you know exited LeBron's sphere let's say and and he got hit in the face and he got called for a foul and then it was kind of funny he came down the next possession was driving and Wayne Ellington reached in on him Wayne Ellington didn't get hit in the face but he snapped his head back like he did and I'm not saying this because I'm a homer I'm saying this because I'm blessed with the ability to watch it in slow motion on the broadcast and I was like oh man you know how upset would you be if you're Pascal where you got called for a foul and this, you didn't do anything wrong. This guy just elbows you right in the face. And then on the other side, a guy fouls you and then pretends like, you know, he got hit in the face. It'd be kind of kind of funny. But yeah, this game, yeah, Pascal, I think um, the 11 boards, the endless work as an offensive creator, I thought that he was um, tremendous in, the, in this one. So hell yeah for him. Reggie Evans Award. Okay, top quick reaction comment from Roark. Quote, LBJ storming around the court, chastising his teammates for their inadequacies and the Zebras for their bad calls, in quotations, bad, um, on his obviously inadequate play. First, King, let's remember that this is your team that you assembled. Second, the refs are trying their darndest to, end quote. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if there's more to that, the refs comment, or if you're going to allude to maybe the maybe the refs wanted the Lakers to win or something like that. I wouldn't agree with that um, or, or anything remotely near that, but I will say that you're absolutely correct that LeBron has significant agency as to how the teams he plays on are built and uh, that hoisted by his own petard uh, would be the term I would think of because this, you know, this team is inadequate and LeBron, I think, especially offensively, has been largely just a, a super great player this year. Uh, Alvin Williams touched on it on the broadcast, how LeBron missed a shot and then didn't run back on defense. LeBron's defense has been really, really bad this year. His overall compete level on that end is really bad. And, you know, I understand why, because at this point, you can tell that there's some... <sighs> he understands the accolades. He understands the counting totals of his own points, assists, rebounds, and stuff like that, that there is, you know, some sort of soulless husk of just going out there and getting numbers in these games where his team isn't good enough and he's no longer the LeBron of old to just carry these guys night in and night out like like he did with, you know, the Cavs in certain playoff series over certain stretches of the regular season. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely... He was upset in this game. There were probably four different occasions where he was very, very animated, and I'm not sure if any are going to become memes. I mean, it's definitely possible, but yeah. Uh, you're definitely picking up on something correct there, Roark. Thanks for writing in. Listener, thanks for listening in. I hope you enjoyed it, but whether you got into it in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye. <laughs>